Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening into the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I'm pleased to be joined by author, speaker, editor, activist, and all-around ninja, Dr. Reverend Derek Penwell. So, hello. Hey, Lauren. Thanks for having me. I meant to I meant to ask you, like, does the ninja apply to anything specific, or is it like metaphorical ninja? No, yeah, no, it's just being a smart aleck. <laughs> Good, good. Um, let's see. Derek is, uh, like I said, he's a senior pastor of Douglas Boulevard Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. It's Louisville because around here in Colorado, there's a Louisville, but this is Louisville, Kentucky, and a lecturer at the University in Religious Studies and Humanities. He has a PhD from, is it L, right? L. Yeah, UofL? University of Louisville. Huh? And uh, author of articles ranging from church history to aesthetic theory and tragic emotion. So we'll be talking about his book today, Outlandish and Unlikely, An Unlikely Messiah, A Messy Ministry, and a Call to, to Mobilize. But uh, first, Derek, uh, what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Uh, well, I've been a disciple now for almost 30 years, but I grew up in the evangelical church. Uh, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, mm-hmm. in the Christian churches, Churches of Christ, uh, sort of kissing cousins to the disciples. Yeah. And uh, my father worked uh, in the evangelical publishing industry um, for most of his career. Um, he was a director of purchasing, director of marketing for Zondervan, and then he became okay. a... a um, an acquisitions editor for uh, um, uh, a couple of other places, and and he worked for Hendrix uh, Hendrickson out in uh, in Massachusetts and so forth. And, and but anyway, um, that whole that whole scene felt like a kind of betrayal to the gospel that I had been studying. Mm. Um, and or not a betrayal, but I think probably a misreading is a better way to say it. Okay. Yeah. And, and um, so I I uh, I became especially around the issues of uh, uh, women in ministry and mm-hmm. ecumenism and so forth. I thought that was all <clears throat> really important, and and that was not something that I grew up with. And so yeah. so I I. Um, I, I did I, I did one master's degree in uh, at Emanuel School of Religion in Johnson City, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. Um, in church history, and then I and then I did my MDiv uh, at um, uh, uh, Lexington Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. and that's when I sort of the first time I was ever in a disciples church was when I was doing the the um, uh, the what do they call it? This, you know, the sermon where they're going to vote on you as a student pastor. So candidate, whatever. Yeah. 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 So, and I've, I've been in, I've been in Kentucky, uh, since 1991. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. So for our listeners, uh, Derek and I, when Derek used the word disciples, he's referring to denomination that Derek and I are both, uh, clergy and the Christian church disciples of Christ, Mm-hmm. And we have a long, long sorted history, I guess we might say. <laughs> Absolutely. As part of uh, what was what's historically referred to as the Restoration Movement. Um, mm-hmm. And Derek is alluding to uh, one what, splinter wing. I guess it depends on your perspective, right? Uh, the Christian Church, Independent Christian Church or Churches of Christ. Mm-hmm. Derek, yeah. I, Derek, can, Derek and I can see each other on Zoom here, so I don't know if... Derek, if you can see, like over my right, I don't know, left shoulder is the big encyclopedia. Which do you have you seen the Stone Campbell encyclopedia? That's a classic. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, what does it meant then? Um, 
would you share like what has it meant for you to be a Christian in the past and and what has changed for you if anything well the way i what i learned growing up was uh pretty standard evangelical fare which is to say uh the the emphasis was always on a kind of personal relationship between you and and jesus yeah. and you and god and um men you were supposed to be a, a moral person mm -hmm. but that morality was often sort of centered on you know your genitals um <laughs> and yeah um uh and 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 failed to to account for you know what i take to be the much bigger message of both uh, the hebrew and christian scriptures which is our responsibility to um, the vulnerable um, mm -hmm. and the way that we live both as a presence christ's presence here in in the world um, and 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 how that presence uh, manifests in our relationships with with um, the government with mm -hmm. uh, educational institutions with uh, you know across the board it has an impact on on how we how we deal with other people mm -hmm. uh, and that that is really sort of the, the 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 hallmark of what it means in my estimation to be a Christian mm -hmm. great um, what spiritual practices have become meaningful to you or, or might you recommend to others? Um, you know, I, obviously, uh, prayer, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, meditation. Although I must say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really not as great at those things as, uh, I would want to be. And I think probably temperamentally, um, I find more sort of nourishment in study yeah, and um, uh, reading. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is that I, that I think often sort of gets short shrift when we talk about spirituality is the extent to which our public life, mm -hmm. uh, the way we engage uh, in the pursuit of peace and justice is itself uh, a spirit, a spiritual practice. So oh. being out in the world uh, is a spiritual practice. We, they used to have a, uh, a thing here uh, at Douglas at the church here. Mm -hmm. They called it uh, Wednesday nights, uh, worship on your feet. Oh, and so you would go out and, you know, you would, you would uh, go to a soup kitchen or, or, you know, what, whatever that was. Yeah. But the, but the, you know, the, the implication was that spirituality is, is not always uh, sort of centered around my own experience, yeah. but yeah. in my communal relationships with, uh, with, with uh, the, you know those who who gather together as as uh, um, followers of Jesus, and and also the relationships we have with uh, the rest of the people who have real no real interest in the church or anything else. Yeah, I I'm seeing that theme of the the public versus the private kind of play out into your book here. Yes. So, well. Um, well, let's jump into that then, if if we can. Sure. So, uh, Derek, when was this published? 2018, 2019? 2019, February of 2019. So, boy, it doesn't seem that long ago, but it has been. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of time in COVID world. But uh, the title is uh, An Unlikely Messiah, or Outlandish, An Unlikely Messiah, A Messy Ministry, and The Call to Mobilize. And so tell us a little bit about just the big picture of the book, if you would. Yeah, you know, interestingly, uh, my working title uh, when I proposed the book was Political Subversive, Why Jesus Was Such a Lousy Messiah. Hmm. Um, and the publisher thought that that might be off-putting uh, <laughs> to Ow. potential buyers, Ow. so readers. So 
um, they, they came up with, with this and, mm-hmm. uh, this is an outgrowth, the, the book itself, the, at least the structure of it, of some of one of, when I do world religions and I'm introducing Christianity, yeah. um, to my students, um, uh, I call it the unlikelies and, and it's about oh. how Jesus is an unlikely Messiah that he, his, his, um, his, uh, calling of the disciples was, uh, you know, very unlikely who, who actually followed. He hung around with an unlikely crowd. He, yeah. he, he angered, uh, the people who were, uh, it, it, it's an unlikely, uh, political campaign strategy to, to, to make everybody at the top mad. Uh, yeah. but that's sort of, yeah. that's sort of how it, um, uh, how it, how it came about. Yeah, it's interesting to think about as here we are, what, like 60 some days as we're recording this from the election and 54, 54. as it turns out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I, I haven't counted the hours and yeah. Uh... Oh my goodness. Um, speaking of politics, you have this quote from your book that I think really encapsulates uh, in my mind what the book is about. So you say, contrary to popular can't talk contrary to popular opinion jesus didn't come to save your soul he came to subvert your politics so there's a lot there can you unpack that a little bit sure um the as i mentioned earlier uh, my experience of christianity growing up as a as a as an evangelical Mm -hmm. um and what i take to be the kind of placeholder for christianity in popular culture today yeah is this assumption that christianity is about um getting your soul saved mm-hmm. and as as you know as i was told in in uh in you know uh christian service camp or whatever growing up you know your job is to get, you know, is, is, is to save your soul and, and take as many people, get to heaven and take as many people along with yeah, you as you can. Right. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, what that does, and I came to believe over time, is leave out some really important issues that Jesus takes up in the Gospels, mm-hmm. as well as the prophets. Yeah. And to a certain extent, Paul. Yeah. And, 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 and even in the, even in the, the the law in the Hebrew scriptures, it really is about uh, forming and sustaining a community of believers who are first and foremost concerned with uh, the life and livelihood and flourishing of everyone and not just the people with power. Hmm. And uh, And so... We, I grew up with this understanding that, which I think is pretty common for most people, that religion and politics ought not to mix. Right. 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 Uh, you, 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 you just keep the two away from each other. But I think that's a misunderstanding of politics, mm-hmm. um, because technically, what politics is is uh, it concerns itself with the life we live, the common life we live together and how yeah, that is yeah. ordered and structured. Um, it comes from the Greek word polis. Yeah. Um, and so politics is something that we do all the time. What I think people have a problem with, and I, I do to a certain extent too, although probably not as much as many folks, what I think they mean is partisan politics. Right. Right. Um, sort of taking one side over another in, yeah, just in political contest endorsement of people candidates parties yeah but there's but there's no way that you can read the gospels i think and come away thinking you know uh jesus really doesn't care uh how we structure our our society yeah um, who we look after and who who gets to use all the power and stuff I mean, it's, it's just as impossible to me to to think of our faith and how that manifests 
apart from uh, the impact that we have on the world around us. And, um, and, and so what I say in the book is that we, we need to recover a sense of what politics means and how it is that religion is inherently political because it's about how we order our lives. Together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Cause I thought about politics for a long time as being at its most basic sense, like how we live together in community. And I think if we thought about like that, like government is just about how we treat one another as we interact. So yeah, I mean, yeah. as John Dominic Crossan uh, points out, yeah, uh, when uh, when you talk about kingdom of God, mm-hmm. kingdom is inherently political, and God yeah. is uh, obviously religious, and there's no way to separate the two. And 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 one of the things that I I argue in the book is that uh, Jesus and the people that he that he ministered to um, and challenged did not think about that. That was a, that was a false kind of dichotomy, religion and politics. Right. Right. Both. Yeah. They're both implicated um, in, in how it is that we assign power and uh, you know, who, who gets forgotten and all that kind of stuff. Let me ask a follow-up question if I may. Sure. Uh, you mentioned like the kingdom of God, and certainly probably you've seen it as much as I have, this this trend to take away kingdom language and talk about kingdom. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, as much as I understand the sentiment, I do wonder if it kind of like devalues, or I don't know if that's the right word, takes away kind of the impetus of what? Because if, if, if what you're saying is true, that there was a political movement, by saying kingdom versus kingdom, like we're kind of uh, taking away some of that oomph. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. And that's part of the thing I struggle with in the book is to say I, I typically talk about it as the reign of God or yeah. uh, God's uh, new realm or yeah, okay. um, you know that kind of stuff. But – um, I want to be clear, and so uh, I, I continue to use in the book "Kingdom of God" mm-hmm. uh, on purpose, and I, you know, I, I make that explicit because it retains the political hmm. um, flavor that I think is inherent in what it is we're talking about. Yeah, That's I wish there were a better word. I mean, I, I yeah, I, and 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 I understand the argument about using "kingdom" um, as as a kind of communal sort of thing but but for my purposes uh in writing this book it it just didn't capture uh, what i wanted to what i wanted to highlight which was the politics of it well let's let's talk a little bit more about uh politics and and uh, as we've come through this summer we're we're in september as we're recording this um kind of come through so much with COVID and the unrest of these so many, so many, it seems like unjust killings of, of African-American uh, individuals, um, just so much broader unrest, continuing protests. And I think a lot of churches, a lot of communities of faith have thought about like, how do we live faithfully as followers of Jesus in this current context that we're in i know probably you've seen this a lot derek i've seen this online like people saying like hey you know you've always wondered what you would do during the civil rights movement of the 60s like hey we're in it again so i I know i'm thinking about that as an individual as a pastor as a church leader um so in your book you highlight and i i meant to ask you how you pronounce this uh the story of say this for me le chambon oh le chambon yeah that was close i'll give (laughs) So tell yeah. us, tell the listeners kind of the general story of, of that. So Le Chambon is, uh, was an, it actually encompassed um, an area uh, in uh, southeastern France in the Vichy region of France during World War II. Okay. And uh, it became a, a kind of model. And in fact, uh, where I first came across it was uh, doing my, doing uh, research for uh, 
part of the philosophical um, uh, portion of my dissertation. And, and, and what was significant about Le Chambon was this whole community, uh, they protected Jews throughout mm -hmm. the war. And the, the philosophical question revolves around uh, super irrigation, right? Okay. Which is a philosophical term, for, uh, ethical term for uh, sort of over and above beyond what can be expected. Mm -hmm. And 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 the issue is how do you get a community to act that way yeah. uh, that appears to be heroic yeah. to everybody else? Like how did they do it? And over the course of the years, they never once cracked. Nobody sort of informed or anything. Mm -hmm. And they saved thousands of the thousands of lives of Jews and uh, both German and French and, and other Euro European Jews, they would hide them. They would make, you know, uh, false papers for them and, you know, they set up a school for them and everything. They took them into their homes. And, you know, the, the question was, can you make a heroic community? Well, the answer to that is probably not, partly because most people don't see themselves as heroic. Hmm. So what you have to do is you have to raise the level of moral expectation to a communal level so that when... Every, all these people are interviewed after the war. Mm -hmm. uh, they, you know, and people are just sort of amazed. How did you all do this? And their answer was, what? We did what anybody would have done. Yeah. Um, clearly, though. It's not. They didn't uh, do what everybody would have done. Uh, they did something more. And, and, and how, how do you sustain that kind of community standard of, of, uh, compassion and uh, resistance, and um, and and so I, I I use that story as a way of talking about the ability of and, and it was led by a pastor mm -hmm. uh, Andre Tolkmen um, and his church and 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 I use that as a kind of uh, jumping off point for talking about how it is that during the times that we're in right now, for example, when resistance is much on people's minds, yeah. how do we, how do we, how do we sustain communities that are capable of doing that kind of uh, what appears to be heroic to everybody else work, right? right. Uh, but to the people who are doing it seems just like the normal kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's not over and above uh, what can be morally expected of us to those people. It's just what is expected of everybody. Right. I want to let's we'll jump into that in a bit. But I want to ask you first, like I, I think of the idea of like building a culture and I think about a firefighter, for instance, and I'm curious if this is kind of what you're this kind of culture yes. what you're, you're talking about, like a firefighter will like run into a burning building to save a life and people will say, Hey, that firefighter is a hero. And the firefighter will be like, Hey, I'm just doing my job. Like exactly. Just, and I think I almost want to like, we're almost seeing this again. Like again, as we're recording this, like was it last week that came out the news about Trump speaking derogatively about soldiers who've died in battle. Yep. And the uh, correct me. If and I'm him wrong. not getting it. Right. Cause it's like, it's like the same thing, right? Yep. Like, uh, Part of part of being in the military is this kind of communal, like I live and die and fight for my brothers and sisters in arms, and for the president who's lived this his whole life on just me, me, me. So it's like can't so it so much of it, if I'm hearing right, is just creating that culture. Exactly, exactly, and that's what the military does. For yeah. instance, you know yeah. they it, you you aren't you you don't come out of the out of the womb, um, snot nosed and crying. <laughs> Thinking yeah. that you have a responsibility to do certain things that appear um, heroic, self heroic selfless. to other people. Yeah. That, is a, that is a cultural sort of um, socialization that people have to go through. And, and my point in the book is that we need to be more intentional about thinking of ourselves in that way. That what we're trying to do in church is not just to get people's uh, celestial bus pass stamped. Yeah, but uh, to to create 
a community that is, is capable of living out what we anticipate as the reign of God, uh, that th- that, that this is what God wanted when God first created the world, right? Mm. That we're, we're living out what it is so that we are a taste of what God intends uh, in this new world that God is creating. Yeah. So in your book, in the last chapter, you, you dive into kind of what, how do we do this? Um, and you don't, you don't, uh, kind of summarizes quite so much, but for the purpose of the podcast, I kind of broke these into five broad yeah. themes that I want to talk through. So I'll, I'll just read them off here and then we'll dive into each one here. Um, but as I read the chapter and kind of summarize it, there's kind of like five points that I gathered for creating change. One is building a theological framework. And, and for you, that mm-hmm. theological framework is reign of God. Mm-hmm. Understanding justice versus mercy. And we definitely need to dive into that. Mm-hmm. Investing in relationships showing up but not being the hero and then teaching people to say no. So so let's talk again. We've kind of we've kind of talked about it but talk about the importance of the theological framework of the reign of God. Well, <clears throat> that yeah, that's that's sort of jumping off what I was just talking yeah. about that the the reign of God is not as I think we as I was taught early on uh, something that happens after you die. Right? Yeah, yeah. That that somehow or another, um, you, you know, the, the or the kingdom of God, or or in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is some future mm-hmm. uh, uh, reality post death. But in fact, uh, we don't know what's what's gonna. You know, we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Let alone all of the intricacies of what happens after you die and so forth. Yeah. What we have control over is uh, trying somehow to embody the reign of God that we anticipate uh, is what God intends for the world right here and right now. Yeah, and um, and 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 so that that's not just a kind of personal emotional feeling or a personal spiritual connection. Although you know, I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying that they're not sufficient. Yeah. They're not sufficient. Uh, for what is intended, I think, by the, by the reign of God. And that is, uh, it's more, it's more social, it's more political mm-hmm. uh, in, in the way that we have been talking about, which is, is uh, ordering our, our life together. And correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, as I see it, like this is where this theological framework or, or foundation is really important because if not justice and mercy which we'll talk about next, kind of becomes this kind of like, if not an afterthought, but like second fiddle to what you yeah. said of like, hey, we've got to get people saved. We've got to save their souls. And then if there's time afterwards, yep, we'll do that. Exactly. No, that's, that's exactly right. And, and um, that was my experience. Mm. And frankly, uh, kind of my experience for many years as a disciple just in a more liberal way yeah right um um, and i think that we we have to we have to move beyond this assumption that what we're doing here is only kind of making a down payment on heaven in the future (laughs) yeah i love the way you say that uh, it's, it's, it, it, it has ramifications for people's lives and, and therefore my own life right mm-hmm. now. I'm curious, what, what did it look like for you, even in a more liberal context of like saving souls? Um, well, I, I mean, it was, there was still this underlying assumption that politics was something that happened out there okay yeah and that religion was was merely about it was was kind of uh it was obviously vertical yeah and there was there was horizontal stuff but that was always ancillary yeah it it felt like to me um so yeah so the church's job as even as in a more quote-unquote liberal context is still about the me and god thing that vertical thing that's great yeah well, I mean, think about it. Think about how many 
disciples churches right now, um, pastors are absolutely, you know, over the past four years are absolutely vexed and confounded yeah. by yeah. how to be a pastor yep. in a time where there is political division in the country, because, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, you know, if you speak on one side, you're going to get, you're going to get, you know, bitten on the other and, and vice versa. Um, and so they just sort of, it's easier to stay away from it. Yeah. Uh, one of the images that I've always liked, um, Dinah Butler Bass mm -hmm. has talked about, who I'm sure you're familiar with, has talked about. Oh, absolutely. Um, like the image of like the religion used to be kind of like the priest or the pastor being like the elevator operator and just taking people like, you know, <laughs> like yes, up, up to heaven, down. down to, down to hell. And now it's like a more kind of horizontal, like cultivating relationships. But like, as you said, like if we understand religion, as just like this elevator. Um, like that's obviously gonna, like we can't really talk about things on the horizontal plane because, hey, that's not what religion is about. And like you said, even in mainline context, like there's still kind of that basic cosmo cosmology, I think, mm -hmm. if that's a fair word. Um, yes. Oh, that's... Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Uh, you know, the, um, the, the, the kind of working model for so many pastors um, in, in, as you describe it, an elevator sort of yeah. model doesn't really allow you to say killing black men by the police mm -hmm. is not only a tragedy, it's an abomination against God. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's just no way that you can convince me that were Jesus standing here today in the midst of our cultural tumult, that he would be concerned about, uh, you know, passing tracks or, or <laughs> um, singing praise choruses or whatever, when the world seems to be burning down. I mean, he was always right in the middle of it. Have you, Derek, I'm guessing you have not been following the, the Bethel worship pastor, Sean Fuked, I think. I don't even know how to say his name, but like, like literally, like that's what mm -mm. he did. He's like he took a worship band to like Minneapolis to like Portland and was like playing praise and worship, and it's like, and then it's like wondering why people are pissed off at him. And uh, yeah, you, yeah, I mean, you it just it feels out. so it feels so you know, pardon the expression, but it feels so masturbatory, right? Oh, yeah, um, uh, that it's really yeah. about me, mm -hmm. and if my goodness can impact you that's great yeah but but that's not that's not how i read jesus at all hmm. well let's let's keep going here because i think we could sure. we could stay in that point for like another 20 minutes uh sure. but you have so many good points here in this chapter so you talk about the difference between justice and mercy and you kind of lay you kind of lay out like uh, injustice in the prison population why people of color incarcerate so much more than others, income inequality, healthcare inequality. And you talk about these are all questions of justice, issues that cannot be solved by acts of mercy, no matter how well or grand or well-intentioned. And I think this is a huge, huge point of distinction. So I want you to keep diving into it because I think in so many churches – uh, mainline evangelical across the board, we do we do acts of mercy, and we're cool with doing acts of mercy, but when it comes to this more like systemic justice thing, we're like I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right, and that really sort of harkens back to the question you asked me about my experience as a as a as a, a sort of liberal mainliner, mm -hmm. um, and 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 the assumption is what you do is are, are acts of mercy, so you 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 know. Almost across the board, food banks. evangelical mainliners. Yeah. So you do you do you do uh, a, a, a food pantry or a clothing closet yeah. or a soup kitchen or whatever. Yeah. And those things are great. I mean, we those things are good. Right. But but that's really ultimately kind of a band aid. Yeah. Uh, over really much deeper issues, and you know the the the, the really famous 
you know, I, I, one could possibly argue uh, the, the, the sort of siren call of liberal Christianity has been, you know, Micah 6, 8, yeah. you know, uh, what does God require of you but to do uh, uh, mercy, justice, love, mercy, do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with God. Yeah. Um, and, and we do the walk humbly with God stuff and, mm-hmm. and the mercy stuff, but we don't, we rarely, in my experience, concentrate on the justice stuff, which is structural. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about systemic racism or, uh, the kind of the patriarchy or, uh, houselessness yeah. or hunger, yeah. those things you can, you can deal with, uh, the houseless population by, by feeding them. But that doesn't, that, that doesn't get to the, these acts of mercy. Don't get to the problem of why they're hungry in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or why they're, why they don't have uh, adequate housing or why it is that despite the best intentions of, of, you know, let, let's give every uh, legal uh, in the justice system, the, the 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 benefit of the doubt, and say that they're all good people. Mm-hmm. Well, fine, but the the outcomes are still disproportionately against black men, yeah, in particular, and uh, and black people in in uh, in general. And so, uh, you also have to, I think, become advocates for change, which is itself a really political kind of act. And I think that's part of why people are nervous about that. And to the extent that evangelicals have sort of gotten on that part of the bandwagon, it's been about issues like, um, you know, marriage equality or abortion or, yeah. or, or whatever, you know, prayer in schools. But, but uh, you know, th- those things are, I I won't, I won't go down that road, but yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, a third thing you talk about when it comes to creating change is this idea of investing in relationships. You say social justice work requires relationships and relationships require trust, which we know trust takes time to build, you say, Mm -hmm. and can't be broken into, uh, in no time at all. And I think, uh, talk about kind of how you've, I mean, this is a big part of what you do in, in, in Louisville. Talk about some of the ways you've been able to build and foster those relationships. And, and I want to, I'll speak for me at least. And I'm curious your take on this too, especially as a white man, as a straight white man. um, I'm curious, like if you'd be willing to share some of the ways that you've had to really invest to, to foster trust when you go into communities of color yeah um well and communities of color and uh, another community that's uh that's really wary is the lgbtq community yeah yeah um and uh you have to spend time i mean you just have to spend time being there Mm -hmm. don't show up and you know sort of take over the spotlight yeah um you you have to build up credibility because I mean, the, the, because these are, are, are groups of people, uh, refugees, mm-hmm. um, uh, immigrant, the immigrant community, these are people who have had many times really bad experiences with institutions. Yeah. And, and, and in some cases, institutions like the church are the worst offenders. Yeah. And so you have to build up credibility by by just being there and being a normal person, being caring and compassion. And one of, one of the things I say in the book, and one of the ways I talk about my job really as a pastor is to figure out ways to say yes. Mm. So if somebody comes to our church, one of these groups comes to our church and says, we use space or when we had a van, you know, would you drive us, you know, would you, would you be willing to loan the van out to, uh, take groups of people to the the state capitol, or mm-hmm. um, can you provide water? Or could we store uh, the stuff yeah. uh, for the the houses? How can we be here to serve you? I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that I learned 
uh, as a minister growing up in the disciples, and, and, and I expect this is true in a lot of cases, yeah. is this sort of attractional method yeah. of evangelism, which is yep. sort of you go out, the, 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 the model is you, you porch and you, you have to figure out ever newer and more novel ways of telling people you should come in here. Yeah. Right. We, we have everything you want in here. Well, why should people listen to us? Mm -hmm. The the thing I think that we need to do, and this is what Jesus did is what if we went out into the community Mm -hmm. and, and, and said, if you ever come to our building, to our worship service, that's fine. But we're doing this not because we we're, we're trying to trick you into coming. We're not, we're not uh, giving you food or having a daycare or whatever to trick you into coming into our church, we go out and say, what do you need? We're servants and we do the things that we do because it's the right thing we, to do, not because we expect to get any, um, any benefit from it. And it takes time for people to trust that. Yeah. Well, it kind of gets into this, this fourth point of showing up and not being the hero. And uh, I'll speak maybe just, White people, especially, we like to be the hero, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to talk to people in uh, marginalized communities whose experience is always um, a kind of suspicion of allies, mm-hmm. partly because allies are there when the cameras are there. Yeah. Right. And and uh, and they kind of sh- uh, slink away when the bullets start flying. Yeah. Um, and so and so there's not a, a great deal of trust until you come in and 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 you say, "I'm not here for me. I'm here mm-hmm. for you." And some practical ways of doing that. And and this is hard. I mean, I know this is hard mm-hmm. because people like you and I, straight white middle-class Protestant males. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where's cisgendered. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, uh, when the, when the news team, you know, when the, when the reporters show up, they look for people who look like us. Yeah. And it's really easy to, to want to be the person who's there talking to them. Um, so don't be but, that person. <laughs> right. No. So, At so most basic so, level. Like, uh, we need don't be the find... person to talk to the press, I guess, even at... Well, and, in, in, you know, if, if you're the only one there or whatever, that's, that's one thing. But you, you're, yeah. you, we always need to be conscious of trying to figure out how it is that we can center other people mm-hmm. um, who really, whose, whose problem is really it. Yeah. Because for the most part, this, these aren't our direct problems. Right, right. But they are our problems because we're part of a community, part of a yeah. body, as Paul puts it. Yeah. And when the toe hurts, everything hurts. Yeah. Um, and 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 so we we need to be we need to be really intentional about about putting other people forward. And that's when they and that's a, a way to build trust. If they see, if folks see that you you know you're not just there uh, to 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 sort of burnish your your resume or whatever. Yeah. Your public image. Yeah. You have one other thing I wanted to highlight, uh, the idea of learning to say no to powers and principalities. So talk to me a little bit about that. What does that look like? Well, for one thing, uh, I think for me, it starts, um, in the pulpit. Mm. Um, I mean, if you've never mentioned race before from the pulpit, uh, then what are you going to say on June, you know, in, in the, at the first of June this year, when, mm-hmm. when everything is up in, in, in air, if you have not sort of laid out how you think it is that the church relates to uh, political and civic institutions uh, all along, Mm-hmm. then people have no way of conceiving uh, not only how to, 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 to challenge those things, but why you should in the first place. Yeah. 
So, so learning how to say no entails from, if you're a pastor, I think, uh, in, in teaching and in preaching, uh, sort of drawing those distinctions mm-hmm. and, and uh, helping the community learn that they have more responsibility than just their own fulfillment. What do I get out of the worship service? What do I get out of church? Mm-hmm. Um, we, need to, we, need to, we need to flip that and say, what is it that I what gifts do I have to bring to the church that, that will, uh, that will translate to mission to the world? Yeah. Now kind of related to this, you have some practical advice at the end of the chapter, just for pastors and church leaders of like, Hey, before you jump too much into this, like talk to your leadership team, talk to your board, talk to your elders, whatever. Uh, I can imagine you probably heard stories of pastors who start down this kind of train or track track and mm-hmm. the leaders get in a fizzy in a tizzy so oh yeah give some practical advice there for for leaders well, and pastors. W- one of the things I-, I say for leaders and pastors is you know uh you probably ought to have some frank discussions about uh under what circumstances is it, is it okay for me to get arrested oh yeah yeah right uh because you don't want to be doing what you think is right and get arrested mm-hmm. and then have the leadership of the church say, you know, we thought this was fine, but, 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 but we saw the headlines in the paper and, and uh, this just reflects badly on us and stuff. So you need to be frank up front about what the costs associated with living this gospel out. Um, and, 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 and so having constant conversations, mm-hmm. not just about getting arrested, but about, yeah. What does this entail for for people who are trying to be faithful to Jesus? Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back uh, with some closing questions. It's not like we haven't all said it enough lately. These are unprecedented times. COVID-19 has upended the way we do life, community, and church. As church leaders, we find ourselves disoriented. Outreach, connection, cultivating a sense of team among church staff and creatives, nothing works like it did before. Torn Curtain Arts gets it, and we're here to help. We strengthen the creative soul of churches. It's why we exist. And in these times, we have dedicated ourselves to helping churches set up live streaming solutions and assisting with live events. We also provide coaching for worship leaders as well as substitute worship leading for both in-person and online events. Contact us at torncurtainarts.org and let's chat about how we can keep you connected to your creativity in this season and grow your community. All right, we're back with Dr. Dr. and Ninja, Derek Penwell. So Reverend Dr. Reverend... Reverend Doctor, Doctor Reverend. Yeah, Reverend, Reverend. Yeah, whatever. You can just be Derek like, is fine. You can be like Doctor Reverend Doctor Penwell. How about that? Yeah, I get I get teased about that. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. But sure. if you if you were Pope for a day, uh, is there one thing you'd like to do? Um, I I think what I what I would do is to make explicit to congregations and to the church as a whole um, that we have a stake in what happens to people Mm. beyond just our own personal salvation. We have a stake in in, um, the kinds of situations that people talk about around the dinner table or around the water cooler at work that we are very much engaged with the world in that, in, 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 in those, in those things. And so, uh, you know, being upfront uh, and giving, setting up a sort of permission structure mm-hmm. for, for people, pastors in particular to, to be able to say, um, you know, the fact that Brianna Taylor was killed in my city yeah. by police, uh, why, you know, 
not as she was sleeping, but woken up for, from sleep right. is wrong. It's just, yeah. it's just against what we stand for as Christians. To be able to say that, I think, is, uh, is, is, is what I would, would want to impress on everybody. Hmm. Good. Uh, do you have a theologian or a Christian historical figure do you want to meet or bring back to life? You know, uh, it's not really even my favorite theologian necessarily, um, but I would really like to talk to Dietrich Bonhoeffer at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I know I will confess that one of the struggles I have is this fury um, at some of the existing. Uh, political structures and the machinations that are that are uh, put in play by those structures right now and some people and it's hard for me not to hate people i mean i'll just be honest i i I know that's wrong and i don't want to and i pray to god to help me overcome that Mm -hmm. but um uh i'm not quite sure you know how much self-righteous indignation is good and when it becomes harmful and how do you how do you make that happen so you know bonhoeffer eventually became part of a plot to assassinate hitler and i'm not saying that yeah. i want to you know yeah. i, I want, i'm not saying that at all but right. but how do you how do you process mm-hmm. uh what you feel to be a dangerous political structure and 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 the implications on your own faith right now how how do you do that yeah. Um, over time, I think that would be a really helpful conversation for me right now. Yeah, that's good. Um, what do you think? I mean, I'm sure you could say a lot to this. What do you think history will remember this current time and place for? Well, um, uh, you know, after yesterday, if you'd asked me yesterday morning, I might have had a different answer. Mm-hmm. But after the revelations from the the uh, Bob Woodward book um, yeah. and the 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 taped discussions he had with President Trump, uh, where where the president basically said, "Yeah, this is really bad uh, in private," but right. then in public, uh, feels like did everything in in, in his power to yeah. to uh, to it, dismiss it to downplay it. Yes. To, to dismiss it and the result of course is that we have you know but by, by the time this is all done we we will have you know well north of of three four hundred maybe a half a million people dead from it and yeah countless lives uh changed by it yeah and in the midst of it of course also um looking at another thing that came out yesterday was not just about the covid stuff but in the midst of the racial unrest in this country, he was asked about white privilege and, you know, somebody who was born to a rich father and stuff. And don't we have a responsibility, Bob Woodward asked him, don't we have a responsibility to, to try to step outside our own experience to understand the, the rage that uh, black people in particular feel by be, about you know being constantly targeted by a, a system that disproportionately um, uh, punishes them, mm-hmm. and 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 he said no, yeah. I he said I don't I don't I don't feel that way at all. Yeah. Um, so I I think there's, I I think that history will remember obviously the pandemic and the racial unrest, but the 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 thing that will be really glaring I think is what looks like a complete and utter lack of empathy mm. by people in power the the inability to imagine somebody else's life other than your own yeah is i think a real yeah um yeah we've seen ten- that even even at the beginning when it came to the 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 economic relief bill of like hey $1200 that should be enough for a few months for people and it's kind of shocking this kind of utter utter inability just to do like basic math i mean these are supposed to be like really smart people and like like do the math like 
$1,200, like it's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, the senator in my own state, the, the House Majority Leader, I mean, the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, Yeah. in the face of, of, of what has amounted to be, you know, record uh, unemployment and um, uh, people, you know, the, 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 the people being um, evicted uh, for lack of paying rent or mortgage or whatever, um, and saying, I don't think we need to do anything right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that point of empathy. Like, I feel like that's been such a huge distinction in this time of like, I'm not going to wear my mask because I don't care. Yep. Um, like, whatever's going on financially in your life, not a problem for me. Exactly. Well, we could spend another hour on that. Uh, <laughs> um, any guess what Christianity will look like in 500 years? Nope. I mean, um, one uh, thing. That the, I like how you're so pand- succinct. Nope. I mean, I just, I just don't. Yeah. I have no way of knowing it. If you if you if I'd have been alive when Martin Luther was alive, I would never have been able to predict what it, what we look like today. Yeah. But I will say that you know, given the trajectory the trajectory that we've been on for 50 years among the mainline church, which has mm-hmm. declined, right? And now even um, some evangelical yep. Uh, yep. denominations are experiencing the same decline, and with the pandemic. Uh, this kind of um, keeping uh, people away from the community, the church, the congregation, um, has prompted you know many people to say, "When this is all over, are you going back?" And they say, "No, I'm not. You know, I'm really." Yeah, the statistics that I'm seeing are pretty, pretty shockingly bad. Yes, they 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 really really are, but. Um, you know, in my in my first book, you know, the the uh, mainliner survival guide to the post-denominational world. What I say to that is, um, because I take that point that we've been declining for for years, mm-hmm. uh, how should we respond to that? And I said, well, you know, if you get a uh, a diagnosis of terminal cancer, you have you know a variety of ways you could respond to that. Mm-hmm. Often it's just sort of depression or right. um, wailing and gnashing of teeth or whatever. But there are some people who get that, and that becomes a kind of freeing thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, all right, heck, you know, if, if I'm going to die, I, 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 let me do it at least uh, do it in style. Let me do it having uh, climbed Mount Everest or you know whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and and I think that that can be a freeing, a liberating thing for the church right now in this situation. Um, I wrote an article one time, you know, the title of which was, uh, you know, what would your congregation do if it never got another member, mm. right? If, if this is all you had, yeah. uh, what, how, would you, how would you act? And the, uh, the, the ironic thing about it is once you start to act that way, sort of uh, without regard to your own self-preservation, yeah. people find that really appealing. Right. That's what's so shocking. So simple but so profound about it yeah excuse me uh all right well where can people find out more about you well uh i can go to my website uh derekpenwell.net um i'm also on twitter um at r-e-s-e-u-d-a-i-m-o-n race udaimon which when I when I got on Twitter, I was in I was in um, in philosophy, and um, so that's a, a kind of juxtaposition of Latin and Greek race thing, and then eudaimon, which is the good, uh, the 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 excellent thing. Cool. Well, uh, check out his books. I know Derek. If uh, I definitely want to have you on in the future, we need to talk about your. Uh, survival that the mainliner survival in the post denominational world, but otherwise, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate the conversation, and uh, may God's peace be with you. And you too, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. 
But hey, before you go, do us a favor. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.